Thanks, guys. Thanks for the introduction. Thank you, everyone, for um, soldiering on fourth week. Well done. You should give yourselves a round of applause because I know coming out at night in the dark, um, often after, at the end of a week, the real discipline thing, often, I know, you know, God is in it, but I just want to say well done and thank you. It's, I've, been, I've been so encouraged to see um, the faces that have been here ev every week and those that haven't made it, that have messaged me and still said, I've got your notes and all of that. So I just want you to know, friend, it's been an absolute privilege, an absolute treat for me to be here. So this evening, um, again, um, God can do miracles. And if we do finish the notes, it'll be a miracle. But... Um, I might just skim over some of the things there where you have got notes on or you have got scriptures and you can actually go to those scriptures. I want to encourage you to go to those scriptures in your own time, read them in different translations um, so they really come al alive and make sense for, for you. This evening, I wanted to talk about, we're talking about intercession. So we've done, last week we looked at the Old Testament Hebrew definition of intercession, the New Testament de definition of intercession, what it really was, and sin is missing the mark, and intercession is really about helping people come back and hit God's mark, um, God's plan, God's standard of obedience, um, and that. We're going to look at, uh, the first part, we're going to look at understanding the spirit realm. In a very um, quick fly through, okay, because we don't need to spend too much here, but I just want to give you a sense of how the, um, particularly the demonic is arranged, because when we come to say, you know, okay, what's the application of this, we need to know when we intercede, at what level do we engage with? What do we speak to directly? What do we not speak to? Okay, because... There's some cowboys out there and <laughs> what they do. So let's look at understanding the spirit realm. Okay, so you have the demonic is organized into a hierarchy in the second heaven. Uh, you have your stronger, more powerful um, demons that are higher up. They operate with different assignments. They've got different skill sets, and they're divided up over different geographical regions. There's many different books. I'll just say up front, there's many different books people have written um, on the demonic, on different spirits, calling them different names. And I've read some of them, and I have not read all of them. I've read the Word of God also and what it says. You're not going to get everyone agreeing on the specific language, you know, on the specific of what we call what. And there might be some differences, and it's okay because we all see in part till we get to heaven. So this is a kind of g general overview, okay? Um, Let's look at things like, I've listed some scriptures here, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then the end will come, Paul's talking here, um, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed, that's um, Jesus, has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. Okay, so we have um, different words there. He's not saying the same thing three times. He's actually talking about different things there. He's saying there are dominions, there are arche, there are authorities, there are exousia, and there are powers, dynamin. I've tried to keep now the same um, King James Version so you can see where they use the same names for the different levels. Ephesians 6 verse 12 from the King James says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, those are the arches, against powers, the exousias, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, the cosmocratoris, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness, the pneumatica, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up all, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all to stand. Ephesians 1 verse 20 carries on and he talks about um, the power with which Father God raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And then he says, far above every principality, every arche, again that same word, power, exousia, and might, dynamos, and dominion. Okay, the kyria tetos, and that can be the divine angelic lordship or demonic lordship, um, and every name. Okay, so I'm just, you can go and read these, but I want to show you that there is a pattern, there is a commonality across letters that Paul writes, that there is something of a structured hierarchy in the second heaven. Um, Colossians 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in, in earth, the visible and the invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or again, the arche, the principalities or powers, the exousia, all things were created by him and for him. Okay, and then Colossians 2 verse 15. So we can sort of summarize this into four different levels. Okay, so we've got the principalities or the dominions. I, I, I'd just go with, just call them principalities or dominions and stick to that because it's easier to understand. They are the highest order demonic spirits, the arche. That word in the Greek means the beginning or the origin. They are the first place uh, principality or rule. It comes from the word, um, from the verb arco, which means to rule or to begin. Okay, so they are ancient. They are ancient. They have been around, I mean, we're looking at, um, you know, as when Lucifer was cast out of heaven and came to earth, um, and he took a third of heaven with him, fallen angels. Um, so they've been around from the beginning. Okay, they also op um, operate in particular territories, very wide geographical regions compared to the others. Um, in Jude 1 verse 6, it even references angels there that are being given their own jurisdiction or areas to operate in, much like the principalities too. You can see there's a, a scripture there from Ephesians 2 verse 2. Okay, then below that, you get your principalities, then you get your powers, your exousia. And that means from the Greek, the power to act. It's the um, authority and jurisdiction. So they really are given an authority to operate in an area, to judge, to operate. Um, and they like to keep to their geographical areas. The word, interestingly, exousia, is also used in the New Testament to describe the people of God who exercise authority in a given area. So it can mean both. Basically means those who operate with an authority in a given area. And so if the ecclesia, the church, isn't operating with the authority in a given area, the power will. Then you get your cosmic powers one level down, rulers of darkness, your cosmocratoris. Um, and that, that word for kratio, um, the, the, the verb is to have a stronghold, to put under control or to seize control over something. So it is referring to Satan's demons that have seized control, have a strong hold over a certain place. But we're going down from principalities are very wide. They cover nations. They cover um, 
nations, nations over waters and things like, like that. There's only a couple of them, I do believe, in the world. Your authorities, your powers are over, over more localized geographical areas, even sometimes over communities, um, over churches, over bloodlines. Then you have at the lowest level your spiritual forces of evil, your spiritual hosts of wickedness, your pneumatica, the spirits. And these really are the spirits that are operating to oppress us on the terrestrial level. Okay, so if someone um, is in front of me in a ministry thing and they're starting to show signs of um, demonic oppression, I know that that is a terrestrial spirit. That's not a principality. It's not a power. It's a pneumatica. It's a demonic spirit that's a terrestrial spirit that is under the authority of a principality or a power. Okay, does that make sense? Again, high-level breeze through. Um, and in addition to that order that we see, and we looked at the Greek in those scriptures, we can see um, that Paul referencing the, references these things very consistently, showing that there is a defined high, high, hierarchy in the demonic realm. We have things called ideological spirits. It's really interesting when you start to understand the operation of ideological spirits in the world. And there are certain groups of them. You can get intellectual spirits, religious spirits, and deceiving spirits. But they really do are very skillful at operating in people's minds or um, through demonic teachings, lies, world philosophies. We'll look at that. But they really do try and torment, oppress, and take captive people's minds. Um, so they are our lower order spirits oppressing and tormenting people. They may not be fixed in a particular place, but set up throughout the world to release messages, deception, teachings of demons. And they really want to strengthen and get people on the ground to come into agreement with these false teachings, with these demonic teachings, with these deceptions, with these lies, with these human philosophies. They will possess a form of illumination or insight. They will spread. It will be a form of spirituality. It will look on the outside like someone is illuminated. They have been enlightened in some way. There is a sense of spirituality that they're trying to grasp at. It may even look on the outside quite wise, you know, quite like um, eloquent and put together, and it might be worth investigating what they're pursuing, but it will generally lead you away either towards self or towards the demonic. If you look at 2 Corinthians, it's a really good example of this. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 um, and we know the scripture well. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In other translations where it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, it talks about speculations assumptions, vain imaginations. The common thread there is it's everything that's got to do with thinking and thoughts and thought processes. And if you look at the Greek word for arguments, that logismos, 
It's a reasoning, a thinking, a conception. It's a calculated, well-thought-out argument. It's not like, um, can you say, just put together child's play things. It really sounds logical, and it's calculated, and it's got values. It's, it articulates someone's values. Um, it's, 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 um, if you look at the, the, where that word comes from, it talks about it, um, it's a reckoning. It's a reasoning and an opinion that's come from a period of deliberation and careful consideration, influenced by an ideological spirit in someone's mind. And that word for every, um, we destroy arguments, every lofty opinion, that means those, in the Greek, it means a high thing. It's used um, also to refer to parts of city walls, like ramparts and bulwarks. It's the same word, a very high thing. It's a basically a defensive wall of knowledge, demonically influenced knowledge, that is set up in someone's mind as a defensive wall to barricade it from receiving the truth. Okay, so if you, actually the, the word, I think it's the Bulwark, bulwark there. No, it's the rampart. I had to look up what a rampart was. A rampart is actually the outer castle wall that is quite wide. You can imagine from you know movies and, and pictures from medieval times, the castles, that was wide enough for someone to walk on. Do you know what I'm talking about? That outside defensive wall. That's literally the hard thing. When they say, we, we destroy arguments in every high thing, those defensive walls that the enemy helps to build in our mind that are a barrier and an obstruction to the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into someone's mind. Inflamed, incited by ideological spirits. So I don't want to go into much more about this, but these are cultural, societal, intellectual, political narratives the discourse of the day, their philosophies, their man-made, demonically influenced and man-constructed also that are prevalent in society today. And it's important, and it can be all manner of things, from religion and communism to, um, maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> yeah, I said it, um, to things like gender identity, sexual and reproductive health knowledge, philosophies of health that are out there at the moment that are really just a very nice guise for ideological spirits to drive home certain um, lies and demonic teachings that become defensive barriers to our knowledge of the truth. Remember, these are, they work under the operation of principalities, and these principalities have been around for thousands of years. If you look at Hinduism, is over 4,000 years old. It predates Judaism and Christianity. So a lot of these principalities, they're, they're influencing the same thing that Hinduism is, actually. There is the sun, the moon, the stars, and we have all these, for instance, Hinduism health practices coming in now. We realize these, are, these have been around for millennia because they're actually from ancient principalities. We have ideological spirits operating under them. But Jesus, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What I want to say, just the points to be made after this very high-level fly-through of the spirit realm is um, two points, really, is what levels of the demonic do we speak to? 
when we intercede. And I'm at pains to really um, stress this and talk about it tonight because um, there are a lot of people around there. I've been in a lot of meetings and even recently heard um, some teachings that are put onto Christian groups. And I feel like we, we, we need to be really careful in this area. Jesus is our model, and we'll look at what he did there. But my personal opinion, what I see in Scripture, and what I've read, what I've learned from people that are more seasoned in, in intercession than what I am, is you don't speak to principalities and powers. We're not called to directly engage with them. We don't bind them. We don't rebuke them. We don't call them out and speak to them. Okay, we'll look at what our job is, but we certainly don't engage with them. They have their power to take you out. They will take you out. They really are. There are many, many Christian ministers who have lost their lives early because they have promoted themselves out of their own protection. Okay, gone on assignments. They weren't commissioned or authorized by the Lord to actually go on. A really good book to read in this, if you want to read more, is John Paul Jackson writes a book called Needless Casualties of War. And it's really, really good. So we don't speak to principalities and powers. We ask the Lord to remove them and send angels to fight that battle. We can command and we can rebuke terrestrial spirits. Okay, the spiritual hosts of wickedness, those lower order spirits, ideological spirits, oppressing people's minds, spirits of deception that are showing themselves right in front of you. You can rebuke those. You can command those to go. Does that make sense? So don't go out into your community and bind the power of the prince of the air, please. You know, and every spirit in this community now must leave in Jesus' name. Okay, it's got to be a bit more precise. Exodus 12, verse 12, if you look um, at that story, it's really interesting. You know, God says to Moses, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And if you look in then Exodus 14, verse 1, what happens is Israel was on their way sort of towards the promise, and God says, no, turn around and come back and camp between, is uh, it Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. Baal-Zephon was obviously the Baal god that they worshipped. He was the god of the sea, the god of the storms. And that was actually an island just off the coast of, um, of, of sort of Egypt there. They had to come back. They had to camp there. And if you look at maps, they were literally looking at this center of Baal worship, this island in front of them. They had to camp there for eight days, looking at this Baal center of worship. Okay. And while the Egyptians caught up to them, the Lord said, turn around, go stand there. And they knew the Egyptians were coming to them. But he had said, I will be the one that brings judgment upon Pharaoh and their gods. And we know what happened then is the Lord actually took them through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. Now, what in fact this was actually, you know, Baal Zephon was the, the god of the storm and the sea. And so by parting the Red Sea, he was declaring victory and judgment over Baal Zephon and leading his people into victory. Daniel was made aware of the principality of Persia, but from the moment he made, was made aware of the principality of Persia, he never directly engaged with it. He repented on behalf of his nation. There was an exile. He prayed and he in, interceded. If we look at Jesus, Jesus never engaged with the powers and principalities. 
one example, when he went over to the land of the Gadarenes to see the two demonically oppressed men there, what happened was there was a massive storm that came up that prohibited him, or no, didn't actually stop it, but it attempted to prohibit them from entering into that area. That was actually a manifestation of the power over that area to try and stop them. But Jesus commanded the storm to cease. He didn't speak to the power. And then he got there, and it was such an important, actually, spiritual gate of that area that two demonically oppressed men came out, running out to him. The enemy had hoped that that would frighten them, that they wouldn't come at, at that gate, that particular very significant place. And Jesus obviously healed them, set them free, and he still didn't engage with any power in that area. Instead, he left a seed of a person who had been transformed by the gospel and completely healed, and then he left. So let's be careful. Let's know the different levels of what we're going to pray, um, what is operating in a community. Let's not promote ourselves out of our protection. Our side of the partnership involves two things. We remove the legal basis for them to continue operating in an area, and we've spoken about that a bit, and we'll go over you know, how we do it. It really is simply through forgiving, repenting ourselves of whatever the sin or the iniquity was, using the blood of Jesus, asking for the angels to come, and prophesying. Okay. The other strategy for displacing big powers and principalities is we make disciples and teach people to live in accordance with the word of God, which is in direct contradiction of how the power or principality wants them to live. Okay, and when more and more people get converted, made disciples operating in their authority, living countercultural to the, how the power and principality are set up to run the, the place there, they get displaced and the kingdom of heaven gets enthroned. Okay, the story of Luke 10, um, Luke where Jesus um, sends out the disciples, the 72, is really, really key. Maybe we should just spend a bit of time reading it. Yeah, we've got time. Luke 10, verse 1 to 2. 1 to 20, but we'll start from verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's a lot of different commentary about this, but um, I'll tell you what makes the most sense to me out of what I've read is that, um, you know, people say, oh, but Jesus was referring to initially, you know, at the, when he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But it's not in the context, actually, what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying here, you went out and you cast out demons, you healed the sick, and you started to establish the kingdom of God. You brought the gospel. And I saw, I was looking with my spiritual gaze through my spiritual eyes as you were going out, and I was seeing Satan falling off his throne in the heavenly places as you went out. Because that, that Greek word actually for I, was, I, I, I saw, I, I beheld, is actually an ongoing, it's actually a, um, an imperfect ongoing use of that verb. I mean, it's, 
it's better translated, I was beholding Satan falling like lying. I was watching him while you were going. I was, and he was trying to and help his disciples understand, actually, they came back saying, woohoo, the spirits are subject to us. We're casting out spirits. And he's saying, actually, you're casting out spirits, but you're weakening the stronghold of Satan in that area at a higher level. So he's drawing the connection there. But then he goes on to say, and remind them then, actually, but I've given you authority to trample on scorpions and on snakes and to overcome all the power of the enemy. He's going again at, he's trying to re, remind them there of different levels. I've given you authority to trample on the terrestrial stuff, the stuff on the ground. The snakes and the scorpions are a particular level of the demonic. But you have power to overcome all the enemy. Okay, to live under ungodly principalities and demonic powers. You have power to overcome them, but you have power to trample on certain levels. Does that make sense? Okay. So, number two, why, why, why the quick fly-through <laughs> of the demonic realm is we need to actually discern the spiritual atmosphere that we live under so that we can live bondage-free and not influenced by the demonic principality and power so we can intercede effectively. Does that make sense? We, we, we really we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes. And we can also do a lot in our own you know, flesh by just being aware, by looking around. If you read um, Acts 17, verse 16 to 34, it's a really great passage of, of Scripture um, where Paul walks around Athens and I really want to encourage us, you know, walking around our community, walking around the city. is Driving is great, but walking, putting your shoes on, actually walking, hearing the sidewalk conversations, hearing the car park conversations, hearing the shopping queue conversations, reading the media with sanctified eyes to see what they're making you swallow, what, they, what they're trying to push you to believe and to come into agreement with. Like, just stand outside of yourself and take note and say, what spiritual atmosphere is operating here? And what's interesting often, what is the internal script running in your head? Like, say you're just flying through an area in, in a shopping queue or you sort of get out of the car in a place that you've just driven into without thinking, what's the script playing in your head? Have you ever, have you ever gone into a shopping mall or a shop Knowing what you're going to buy, how much you have to spend, and suddenly you get there and it says sale, and you think, "Oh my goodness me! Ah, you know, I, I I need this and I need that and I need this tomorrow and all of that." You know, often there are spirits there that are influencing people in those places to buy more. Spirits of materialism, consumerism, greed, overindulgence. Doesn't matter what their names are. That's what they're operating to get you to come into agreement with. <laughs> So listen to what's in your head. Okay. I mean, that's just one example, but there's many, many other ones. Acts 17, verse 16, verse 34. I, w I won't read the whole thing here, but it's really interesting. Paul goes and he's waiting in the city of Athens. And he says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was pr provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplaces every day. But if you carry on going down to verse 22, it says, um, 
Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very re- religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. It's amazing. He's, he's going around saying what he said, and he's picking up these things that he's seeing, these altars, this worship going on, and he's, he's using that as like a sort of crowbar, gentle crowbar into a conversation about the gospel. He's using his walk around and his discernment through his physical eyes and obviously his spiritual senses were probably also feeling out the area there to sharpen his evangelism strategy, to know how to put the gospel in front of them. If you read on, I mean, things like he says, um, oh, where are we? Verse... 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, and that they should seek God. And he goes on to say, yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, which is probably a philosopher of Crete that he's quoting there. And he goes on to say, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And he's using what he's seen, what he's read, what he's heard as to sharpen an evangelism strategy for the gospel to go out to his community that is relevant for them. I love that. So I want to share a testimony quickly. Um, I hope I have time for some more. But it's a testimony really helps to show you the different levels of the demonic and how we need to address them. Some people have heard me share it before, um, and I don't want to name the actual place, but there was a very public investigation that was done um, some time ago, and the results came out in the papers, and there was a whole public uproar about it. And when I had heard it, I actually realized that, because I wasn't aware of this church or this mission station, I wasn't aware of it, I'd never even heard of it, but I realized that the Lord had actually spoke to me in a dream about it a few Actually, the night before it was made public, he had spoken to me in a dream. He had shown me this church, this mission station. He had shown me the things that were going on at this place. He showed me the severity of what the victims were actually suffering. A lot of it was actually true. And he commissioned me to obviously stand in the, in the gap and to pray, to pray that the evidence would come to light. And in that dream, I also he showed me the demonic power that was operating over that mission station. And he showed me the name, and his name was Brono. Uh, he, he retreated back into his lair, into his den. He was discouraged. He was defeated. And I saw written above his head was the name Brono. I woke up. I didn't know what Brono was. So I researched. Brono was actually a Norse god. Norse god, the god of daylight. A lot of Norse mythology, African mythology, Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Roman mythology is not um, made up. They, they knew what was operating in their spirit realm. And if you study the different types of mythology, you see a lot of consistency. They just name them different things. So this was a Norse god of daylight. Lord is showing me that this is a demonic power that's bringing a false light, the counterfeit light upon this property. And I knew then from further investigation that there was um, divination, 
probably operating a lot of witchcraft, divination, and obviously a spirit of religion. So we went, I assembled a team of people, and um, shout out to them, some of them are here tonight. (laughs) But we uh, prayed over Zoom, we had multiple prayer meetings, and then um, I spoke to a seasoned mentor in this area, and she said, if you can get to the place, you need to get your feet there. So we went there, we made arrangements, we went up there one day, and um, interestingly enough, the, um, well, I'll backtrack a bit. The, ni- the day before we went, it was like even the demonic in our area knew what we were going to go and do because I came home on the Friday, came home in the middle of the day for 20 minutes, me on my own, just kind of like to whip in and whip out. I was home for 20 minutes. And as soon as I went to go put the key in the door, I had this demonic presence come next to me and say, imagine if there was someone on the other side of that door. And they would, no one would hear you scream. And that was such an uncharacteristic, I didn't struggle with fear. I knew it was demonic intimidation there. And I just rejoiced. I'm like, we are so, we are just, you know, dismantling the powers of the demonic. And they're not happy about it. But again, we focus on Jesus. We actually had physical manifestations of evil. While I was home for the 20 minutes, our next door neighbor saw someone walking in the garden, middle of the day, 12 o'clock of the day, put his alarm on, Blue came home. It's never happened in our community. I've never ever had that neighbor call Blue out in the middle of the day, exactly the 20 minutes that I was home. It's physical manifestations of evil from the demonic trying to intimidate us before we went. That night, the Lord gave me a dream where um, we went to this place and it was completely sealed up. There was a massive lock on the doors. And I kind of went up to the gate where this lock was. And this must have obviously been the angel of the church. Comes and says to me, are you Candace Reardon? I said, yes, I am. He says, you can come in. And we went in and I, you know, sort of saw where we were being guarded. And there was a, um, just the whole layout of it. Anyway, I said to the team when we left the next day, I said, don't worry. We were not able to get physical access onto the property. It had been such strict lockdown. They had not um, allowed one visitor on the whole time, and they normally have hundreds coming through. Um, But I said, don't worry, guys. We've got spiritual access, and that's what counts. So we went up there. We did our thing. We literally parked in the parking lot. We checked again. Can we come in? They said, no, sorry. We're under strict lockdown. So I said, that's fine. We just want to pray. We're just here to pray. We know what you guys are going through. We're going to, would you mind if we just worshipped here? So we worshipped. We went through the process, forgave, repented ourselves, applied the the blood, um, all of that. When we opened our eyes, we opened our eyes, and the next, not even a minute later, the, like, head of security came into the prayer circle and said, please, will you come in? So we were escorted into the property. We got to see the church. We got to even have lunch with them. What God was doing there was they didn't know exactly why we were there. I mean, they knew we were there to support them in prayer. So they extended the hand of, of friendship. But they, in the spiritual, there was agreement with our mission. They didn't understand the methodology, what we were there and doing in the, in the, in the heavenly places. But they knew why we were there. And there was agreement with that mission. And so we know that that demonic power suffered a massive blow that day. And time will tell the testimony. 
but that's how we operated. We didn't engage with the power itself. We went there, we removed the legal basis for it to operate. We went under protocol in unity with the team, and we came into unity with the team there. And that is so important. All right. Let me share one more testimony, and then we'll get into intercession at particular sites after the break. Let me see which one. So we know what we're going to talk about after the break. We're going to talk about intercession at particular sites, cleansing from, um, cleansing from iniquity, breaking curses on particular areas. I'll tell you a testimony now because it's really close to here, actually. When you walk out these doors, you'll see a brown building to your left. Sort of at the level that we're at now was where we actually went and prayed at. So a friend of ours from our previous church, he's on eldership there. He's an amazing kingdom businessman. And he, um, he came into a business that's operating in that building there and turned it around in three years. It was in the gutter, turned it around, um, was knocking out the park, all of its targets, doing really, really well. And then all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere... In this premises, they started experiencing um, like mites, like bites. Their staff would come to work, they'd be bitten at their desk. Um, it was so severe that they were having to take staff to the doctor and doctors were looking at these bites and there was now scratches and secondary infections and it was just so weird and out of the blue and it wasn't just one or two, it was like the majority were starting to experience this. They even had, so the first thing they did was they, they pulled up the carpets. They cleaned the carpets. Then it still went on, so they pulled up the carpets. They replaced everything. They had entomologists come and study the contents of the vacuum cleaner bags, and they couldn't find anything. <laughs> no, I mean, the doctors said this is maybe bird mites, but the entomologists couldn't find anything of what was actually going on. So then at this point, my, my friend was very, very upset. I mean, his staff were putting pressure on him to try and bring um, a tr traditional heal healer through to come and pray over the place and cleanse things. And at that point, he said, no, we'll, we'll try back up. So we came in and, um, you know, we obviously asked some questions around, you know, sort of the business, is it operating ethically, is it upright, things like that. But it was a Saturday afternoon. We went there for two hours, and we worshipped the Lord. We worshipped Him. You know, God sits enthroned on the praises of His people. We worshipped the Lord. We established His throne, and we went into a time of... for, for There was things that um, had been done to the business, and the business had also done, that needed to be for, forgiven. We needed to repent for certain things as well, that my friend was showing us. We applied the blood of Jesus... We prophesied over it. We asked the angels to come. And it was a hard atmosphere. Have you ever been in those places where like, you, do, you feel like, oh, like it's really hard. Like I'm trying to hear from Holy Spirit. I'm not getting much at all. And so you know, then we started to pray at the different doors. You know, it's always good to go to your, um, the physical points of access, often connect to the spiritual points of access. So we went and we prayed at the doors. We anointed them with grape juice. Using grape juice and using oil are really, really important for what they represent. And it was like almost like two hours later, we just didn't feel a release of anything. And then um, my husband started, so I felt the Holy Spirit then say to me, this is a spirit of murder that you're dealing with. 
So, okay, I hadn't said anything yet, and my husband's praying at that time in our circle, and he says, um, he started talking about a murderous spirit. And I said, okay, we've, we've, we've got something. We've got some insights of what's operating here. So then we know this is not a power. It's not a principality. It's something that's been released through spell, witchcraft, something like that. So we started to rebuke this murderous spirit, take, take authority over it. And we closed the, the meeting shortly after. And we went home that night. And this thing must have or spoken to some, some other demons in the area. And this thing came and tormented us that night. I mean, I know it was a murderous spirit now because the things it was making me see in the dream were terrible. I was like being, I mean, I don't want to even talk about it too much, but I was being complicit in a murder. Everything a murderous spirit would be good at um, doing, the knowledge it would have, I was being shown that to torment me for what happened. And I woke up and I knew... I mean, I asked God to cleanse my mind and all of that, and, um, but I knew that there was massive success because this thing was not happy with us at all. And um, six weeks later, I touched in with my friend. There had not been a single record of a bite after that. What had obviously happened was there had been a sacrifice that had been done, a blood sacrifice that had been done. I, I, I think even maybe in involving Muti. It was a very strong spirit, but you know what? We have authority where we go. And sometimes the point is also know the level that you're interceding against. Know what you can directly command to go. Know what you can't. Know when you just have to uh, do the legal basis, clear the legal basis so the angels can come in and fight. And know when you can directly confront something. And always do it in a group where you all are in agreement with each other. And always use the blood of Jesus, because that is the only thing that breaks the curse. Even oil on its own represents the Holy Spirit. You're asking the Holy Spirit to come in, but the blood breaks the curse and redeems us from the curse. Okay, and um, as I mentioned last week, intercession can solve real-world problems. It really is. And go, sometimes we need to go to the places. That's the other point I just want to make before we close. We need to sometimes stand in these places ourselves as a gateway. Because we are a gateway. Linking heaven to earth in that mo moment. Okay. So we'll talk more when we're back from the break. Uh, looking at interceding at particular sites. Curses upon land. And yeah, if anyone's got any questions, I'll be available now. Okay. All right. Quickly. So sometimes the people will um, sin, make mistakes, they'll make transgressions, there'll be iniquity um, that has been carried out at specific places, whether it be schools, businesses, communities, um, whatever it is. And it's always a good idea, as I said, to go to the place and to intercede there and to always take some grape juice. Okay, you always want to symbolically, you are a priest, we are a royal priesthood, we can apply the blood of Jesus, use the blood of Jesus to cleanse that area there. Oil um, representing the work of the Holy Spirit to come in. And even salt. We've often used salt. Salt is an um, agent to preserve. And if you look um, at the Old Testament, um, the covenant that God had with David was a covenant of salt because it was a perpetual covenant down the generation. So you really are, when you um, release salt over there and you're saying, Lord, just preserve your original plan for this community. Just preserve the original covenant that you had. Bring them back into agreement with it. 
Um, okay, so the land can be defiled, it can be cursed, and it can receive judgment. Um, and it, in terms of it can experience hardship as a consequence of people's sin and transgression at that place. There is scripture to back this up, which I've got down there, which you can read through. Um, I've got, I think I've got all the scripture down there that I've got in front of me here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've shared with you one story about my friend's work. Um, another story that comes to mind is my sister-in-law actually works for a church up in Kloof. And um, <laughs> part of the family. So, so I said my sister, hey, my, you guys feel like sisters. My sister-in-law, Jan's sister, works for a church up in Kloof. And um, they had um, changed their premises and started renting another, um, which was um, another place of worship. I'll put it like that, up in, up in Kloof. And I thought, oh, it's wonderful. They're going to a bigger building. And, and then I did a bit of research around uh, what that sort of, the apostrophes Christian church was and what they represented and what their doctrine was. And I realized that actually was very, um, there's a real spirit of error in that doctrine. And I thought, you know what, I must, I must actually tell her um, that they're probably going to need to cleanse that site, cleanse that land and, and use some grape juice and pray there uh, before they start doing church. And um, God is so kind and he's more invested in his bride than what we are so often in our own own lives too. It wasn't a couple of days, a, a week after they had actually moved in and started holding meetings at that church where um, some of the people, including her in the church, started to get dreams about um, dreams that were located, God was showing them about what was operating in the church. And she had a dream where um, there was a thief that was in the church that was stealing the pots and pans. And basically what the Lord was showing was the capacity to hold the spiritual food, like our hearts, our minds, the enemy was going to rub from there. So we couldn't hold the food that was being fed on a Sunday. Another person had a dream of the thief not coming from the outside into the church, but being already inside the church. And this person was trying to get the thief out and couldn't do it in her own effort. Because you can't do these things. You can't shift atmospheres in our own effort. We need the Holy Spirit and the angelic host to also come and work with us. So in response to those dreams, they gathered quickly as a leadership team. And they prayed. And um, you know what? They didn't follow all the process that I did, but that's fine. God still heard their cry, and it was a work that he wanted to do. They all met. They all prayed. Um, and they just felt a release that the job had been done. And a few weeks later, my sister-in-law had another dream where the Lord showed her in the dream the, the church. And there were these black birds and crows that were trying to get back onto the property. But there was beautiful white dove that was circling around the church that was keeping them out. Obviously, the Holy Spirit that was now brooding over that, that church. So when we intercede at a place for a group of people, let me just go through this because Taryn um, asked a very good question. So I want to make sure we all kind of, again, I'm saying it's not about a process. Hey, We're not going to be religious here. We're not going to exalt a process over the person of Jesus. Okay? <laughs> We're not going to get um, all, you know, secure and, and safe because we've got six or seven steps that we need to follow. Okay? Our trust is in the blood of Jesus. So we forgive. Okay? You are f looking for something, someone to forgive. You are looking to release mercy. 
You know, God is merciful to those who show mercy, and we want mercy from him while we're there. So we need to show mercy as well. Um, So we're looking to forgive for whatever the sin, the transgression, the iniquity was. Okay. Um, You want to renounce all partnership with the sins and the iniquity. So you stand there personally, and you're saying, Lord, say there's been, say we're looking at like um, Point Road, whatever his name is there. I renounce all agreement with drugs. Like, as for me, I personally sever all attachment with that now. Okay. But then also, okay, that's a bad example, but um, for this, we're going to repent on behalf of the people that you are representing there. So, like, for example, when we went up to this church, this mission station, they're a part of the body of Christ. They're my Christian brothers and sisters. I am standing with them as a collective. They don't know I'm doing this, but I'm standing with them before the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I am so sorry that we went into religion. I'm so sorry that we started to promote a mixed gospel. I repent of that, Lord. Okay, does that make sense? We've got to get out of our Western individualistic mindsets where I'll be responsible for my own sin, and your rubbish is your own responsibility. (laughs) Like, you know, it's a collective here. It's a collective. Because if you look at Moses, like he would stand in the gap. He wasn't the one committing the sin. He was like, Lord, I'm so sorry. Have mercy on us. We don't know what we're doing. If you look at Daniel, Daniel was very upright, very upstanding. And he would repent on behalf of his brothers and sisters, that nation that was in exile. Okay, it's very Hebrew mindset. It's collectivistic. We're so sorry, Lord. I'm a citizen of the school. I'm so sorry. I'm a citizen of this community. I'm so sorry this happened on my watch. I repent. Okay. Apply the blood of Jesus. Okay. You can say it. If you can release grape juice, that's wonderful. For the purification, for the cleansing, for the breaking of the curse. And then, as I said, you break the curse. You don't petition. You don't ask the Lord to break the curse. You've got the blood of Jesus that breaks the curse. You just enforce it. I break the curse of this hold. I break the curse of this divination on this property. I'm not speaking to the power. I'm decreeing as a priest and a king here, I break the curse of that. Does that make sense? Okay, and I loose the land. I loose the land and its people from the sin of whatever. Um, Very important Guys, you can ask the Lord to release angels, and you must. You must always do that. We don't command angels ourselves, but always ask. He actually wants us to. I've had many, many dreams where the Lord has shown me, like, ask me for the angels to come. And sometimes he'll even say, which ones? Because they've got skill sets too. And then prophesy over the land. Ask God. At least if, if you haven't got a prophetic word, like specifically use the word of God and prophesy it. Okay. All right, um, I want to talk about Hillcrest, our area, just for like 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I wanted to share some testimony. Um, and again, I'm not the only intercessor praying for Hillcrest. I know there's many that have come before me, many that are praying with me, and many that will come after me. So, you know, it's not all on me. I'm very grateful for that. I can sleep very well at night knowing that. Um, so about eight years, I'll just give a sprinkling. About eight years ago, when I knew very little about this area, the Lord loves often to activate us by throwing us into the deep ends sometimes. 
And I had this dream where he showed me the religious, a religious power over the community. It like knocked my socks off. I didn't realize like I just loved living in the suburb, ignorant of the spiritual atmosphere up till that moment. And I realized there's a reason they called it the Bible Belt. We have so many churches up there, so many denominations, but some of us have gone into religion. And so he was showing this stronghold of religion, and the people were bowing in front of the spiritual man in the dream. And the Holy Spirit stood next to me in the, uh, next to me in the dream. He said, I want you to assemble an intercessory team, and I want you to um, end this practice. So not knowing much about how we ought to do it, I gathered some people. We kind of all sat around looking at each other. Everyone's looking at me. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I just know... Um, we're going to ask the Lord to do this. Like, I don't know much else. But you know what? Friends, he is, you learn by doing often. And he, his grace covers over those things we don't know. And he fills in, in those gaps. And he will show us. He also showed me at the time that there was a very significant intersection in the community. And I just started learning about spiritual gates. There was a particular robot intersection into the community that just came up every now and again in my dreams, and I knew this was a spiritual gateway. And often, you look in your community, um, often the physical entry points might be the spiritual gateway, sometimes they might not be, but it's often where places often have accidents, there's repeated accidents, injuries, um, some kind of bloodshed occurs there very often. So this particular gate, there's always accidents, uh, the track, like, um, Ran, uh, drove into the bridge once. There was shootings, there was stabbings, because the demonic watchmen at the gates always require sacrifice of blood. Okay. And you might even think of areas in your community now where this happens quite often. And those are very significant places to, to put our feet under the Lord's protection, remain right with God and right with others, and go with the blood of Jesus. And he showed me how this religious power got a hold in the community. And he took me to the story of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist was in prison, and Herodias' daughter danced before the king, before King Herod. And he had so loved what he had seen. This is what God's t telling me. And he, um, he said, you know, I'll give you anything that you'd like up to half my, my kingdom. And then Herodias' mother actually said, go ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And the Lord's telling me this, and I'm like, why, Lord, are you telling me this? And he says, well, there's idols that have danced in front of the eyes of this community. Idols of luxury, affluence, and lifestyle. And because of that, the John the Baptist, the wild man, has been executed, basically, in this community. The, the wildness of Christianity has been tamed because of the idols of comfort and luxury and affluence that are operating in our community. So we knew what we had to repent of, which was great, to remove that legal basis. This is, was a power that we were dealing with here in intercession, so we're not communicating with the power. So knowing what the sin and the legal rights that this, this religious power can establish itself and operate was really, really important. And um, so we prayed, literally, friends, it, we, we, we prayed a couple of times, but we were very precise in what we, we needed to repent. We knew what we wanted to prophesy, and we used the blood of Jesus. That was our strategy. And it was a few days after our last prayer meeting, I had this dream, and well, it was multiple dreams. This, this 
this Buddhist man kept on tracking me in my dreams the whole night, like three different dreams. And he was har harassing me and tormenting me. He wouldn't leave me alone. He eventually came to me and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, I want my 100,000 people back. <laughs> so I knew, I knew that this was the religious power and he was very upset. And we had just dealt a massive blow to his, to his kingdom in our community. And he wasn't happy about it. And we needed to continue with intercession. But a lot of what the Lord had wanted us to do had been done. We knew that these gates were, were, were really important. And during COVID, when, when the first wave hit, and um, it was a, obviously a very dark day for many of us, and it was a very heavy lockdown. And the one night the Lord gave me a dream where he showed me that there was this supernatural deposit. This was a spiritual deposit he wanted to bring through, again, those gates. Um, and it was going to help people in the community see. That's what he said to me. So I realized this was like, a supernatural deposit of faith to help us see in the dark, supernatural deposit of hope for this time that we were in. So we organized a feet on the street meeting actually at those gates on a Saturday morning in heavy, heavy lockdown um, on the grassy bank. I mean, it was loud, it was noisy, there were cars honking around, but we had our flags and we were just going for it and worshiping the Lord and basically just taking authority of these gates, asking God to well, we consecrated them with the blood, asking for angels to come and man these gates now. No further accidents, no, form, no further bloodshed. Just worship at these gates, that angels would be there, that this deposit could come through. Friends, there's no um, textbook here. You literally go with how, what the Lord asks you to do. Okay, where he asks you to pray. Um, what else? Then, also, a few years ago, the Lord spoke to me, um, and he spoke to me out of Revelation 3, where um, they're talking to the church in Theatira, and he says, um, he, in Revelation chapter 3, he speaks to the church, or to the angel of the church of Theatira, and he says, I know what you've done, I know your works, I know how well you've done at this, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And I mean, so I don't want to get into who Jezebel is and all of that, but basically what the Holy Spirit sat on was that word tolerate. And he said to me, you have tolerated Jezebelic witchcraft services and shops in your community. And it was at that time where we weren't meeting as a church, so it was kind of like my heart was growing for my community. That was like my, my, my church, you know. And, and, and I just was actually haunted almost in the good sense. But it's almost like, you know, haunted me and harassed me with that word of, you've, I've tolerated these things. I'd never thought about it before. I'd never, we have many, many um, places like that, as, you know, a lot of communities have, um, new age places selling things. Um, yeah, can't go into all of them now. But I had never visited them. I would never advocate for anyone going to visit them. I'd never strengthen them as a business. I'd never promote them. But I realized I've actually tolerated their presence, which I realized was actually sin. And that's what we, you know, coming back to why do we repent? We have to actually own the fact that if these services and shops or whatever the iniquity is happening on our streets, if it happens in our community, the ch it's evidence the church is not 
fulfilling its mandate to shine the light, to bring the gospel, to turn the city upside down. So it is on us to a certain extent, friends, isn't it? We have to repent. We have not gone to the edges of our community and touched and transformed it. So, so we actually, you know, interestingly, then the Lord started highlighting certain places to go to. So we went to, there was one place called the castle, and it was um, just a, it had been operating, it was an old building from like when Hillcrest was very, very young, many, many, many decades ago, but it had been operating for many, many years, um, and I tell you what, we as Hillcrest people, we can be very fickle, like restaurants can open and shut in a couple of months, like, you know, we, if we don't, if we're not feeling something, like, it won't live, live long, unfortunately, in Hillcrest, this thing had been open for years, it had a restaurant, it had hypnosis there, it had a drum shack, it had um, all this new age stuff going on there, and, you know, it was just thriving, it seemed, so, I'd been praying um, for many, 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 many days already, but I, we organized a meeting to go there. And um, just a small group of ladies one morning going there, and we did the same process. And it didn't take us more than 45 minutes. We left. In five weeks, it was closed, <laughs> completely closed. We had it again. We went to another place that sold... Um, it was like, like a gaming store, but when I'd walked in there, actually, none the wiser wanting to buy something that my son needed, I was like, had an education on all these types of games and all these, not just undertones of the demonic, but very explicit, overt things of witchcraft and that. So I actually said to my son, we're not buying it from here. We're not strengthening this place. We're leaving. Um, and we went back with a prayer team, and we prayed one, one Saturday afternoon. And um, just the same process, just walked around it, took some um, oil, took some grape juice. And one of my friends who's a um, seer, she saw as we were praying rats leaving. So we knew there was a release that God was starting to do the work. In three weeks, that was closed. Again, and that had been in our community for also um, what about two to three years. Okay, so I mean... The, there were some places that are still open that we prayed at, that we're con continuing to contend for. And some people really got um, upset with me also and said, oh, but, you know, that's not very loving. Like, you know, you're going to be out of a job. And, you know, I was like, I'm so, this is honestly just what the conviction of the Lord and the leading of the Lord in the season. And we do pray for their salvation. We pray for their employment. We continue to pray for those, those people now. We're not, we don't want harm to come to them. We just want the preservation of our community and the throne of Jesus established and the dominion of darkness dismantled. Um, one more. So, uh, testimony, we organized a prayer meeting in our community on, remember 2021, they had a, an Ancestors Day, the proposed Ancestors Day. So we organized a, a Feet on the Street meeting on a rooftop uh, on one of the shopping centers on that Saturday afternoon. And we repented that day. Obviously, it was, it was celebrated as Ancestors Day. So we repented. Again, I've never, you know, worshipped the ancestors, but... My brothers and sisters have. I'm a citizen of the community, and our community has. And we repented of that. We repented of witchcraft. We repented of a mixed gospel. Everywhere in our community where we have watered down the gospel and done Jesus and something else. 
And um, less than a week later, uh, and then we sent teams out both to the, to the gates that um, God had shown us, that one gate that I had spoken to you about, another gate, the north gate. Um, and we sent a team out to the north gate, and they did what they needed to do there, that process. And that, was, that gate was very significant. That was in the um, intersection of Ananda and Akits Road. And um, that comes out from Akits Gorge. And less than five days after that prayer meeting, there was a demonic altar that was exposed in the gorge, a satanic altar. Less than five days later, uh, uh, there had been a hiker that had gone for a hike through the Akits Gorge, and um, quite far off the gorge across the river, uh, she had seen a glimmer of something. There was like a mirror there. And she phoned through, and basically um, rescue tech had to come in because they thought that it was a small aircraft that had gone down in the gorge. They couldn't find this thing. It was so far into kind of the slope side of the gorge. They eventually found it. They realized it was a satanic altar. But it had been exposed, I think, because of our praise. And... So obviously our community groups are all alight with, can we still go to the gorge? Is this thing being taken down and everything? And I said, we'll go take it down. We thought we were the cause of it, so we thought we should probably go and clean it up. So again, we, we, you proceed with caution. You don't run into these things. You, you check with the Lord, and you make sure you're right with God and you're right with others. And um, what had been so interesting was a few days before, the Lord had given me a dream where I was removing witchcraft elements out of a community in the dream. And I was putting them, my husband and I were putting them into the back of our car, but we took off too soon and we sped and we actually ended up veering off and going over a cliff. And you know those dreams where you feel like you're going to die? Like you're literally like, okay, this is it. I've had a good life. It was like that. And I realized with the exposure of this satanic altar now and you know, we felt that we needed to go and take that down and serve our community like that. Um, this was the Lord saying, do it, but don't rush into it. Just proceed with caution here. We have to realize, like, the enemy is a, is, a, is, a, is a... If we are not walking with the Lord, we're running ahead of him, or we're promoting ourselves out of our own protection, um, or if we're not right with God and right with others, there can be serious danger that can come. But I'm not trying to deter anyone. I'm just you know, saying that there, is a, there is a process, and we walk with the Lord. Um, so we assembled like just a small team. There's just four of us, my husband and I and two others, and we went down into the gorge, and we found this satanic altar, and we learned a whole bunch about Satanism that we didn't realize, and we took it down. And, you know, there were some people that said, like, what are you doing? What are you touching that for? Like, can you go into those places? It literally everything you've like heard about was there. Um, the blood, the knives, everything. It had been there for a long time. And we went there, and you just felt the presence of evil around you as you go there, but it did not frighten us. We knew we were being commissioned by the Lord, and we were going at a pace that we were walking with the Holy Spirit. Here. And we worshipped as we took it down, and we served our community, um, and we removed it. And we just asked the Lord to leave angels there, that when these people return, they would have encounters with the Lord. And that site is very preserved. We, what, what you want to do if there's places like that that you go to where you realize there's been a sacrifice or there's a rock hen or something like that, is um, Romans 1 says, you know, his, his, um, his divine attributes, his invisible attributes, his divine power and eternal glory are evident in creation. 
You want to intercede, coming, you know, bringing things back into agreement. You bring the land back into agreement with its original plan, that it would showcase the glory of God, that it would be a beautiful thing, that God's attributes would be um, seen in that piece of land, you know, as it's restored back to its productivity, as it's restored back to its prosperity, as it's restored back to its level of cleanliness and all of that. Okay, there's a lot more, but I'll end it there. But I just, my, my hope and my prayer is that I could, the Holy Spirit will activate us as citizens of our community. We'll walk around with our spiritual eyes and our, you know, physical eyes and our spiritual ears and our physical ears open to discern the atmosphere that we're living in, that we can live bondage-free so that we can intercede effectively and we can be led by the Lord in these um, exciting, adventurous and obedient assignments as we enthrone Jesus in our community and dismantle and destroy the works of the enemy. Okay. Is there any questions, comments? Yes, Tanya. <laughs> well, Gideon tore down one in his father's backyard. <laughs> And he said, oh, Bar will fight with him. Um, so uh, private property, I wouldn't go, unless the Lord explicitly tells you to, like he told, told Gideon to. Okay, then you want to be obedient to God before man. But I would ask for the, the divine strategy from God in the way that you should do it. Um, if you're invited into the house, house and there, there are those objects there, you know, go in and bless the house, and know that you're a gateway for the Holy Spirit to be released in that place. Um, speak blessings over the house, just, you know. Um, uh, what did we do with what was left? We took it um, back to our church, we put it in a drum, and we burnt it. We prayed over it, we um, first purified it with grape juice, uh, just annulled and cancelled every curse that was attached to it because uh, often those things are, are cursed. The people that remove those things would receive a curse, but just cancelled those curses and then burnt it and slept very happily that night. Did I answer everything you asked? Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. So, I mean, we don't want to go there and stir up contention um, and have a direct confrontation. And in fact, we'd probably, if anyone had seen us, we'd probably say, we're here to pray for you. Can we pray for you? Is there anything that we'd like? You know, we'd come with a spirit of love. Um, the, the spirit that you go in, there's no spirit of condemnation. You come with a spirit of love. You want to see this thing restored, people reconciled back. But we did do it just, you know, because we all have families in that. Generally, some were done on Saturday afternoons when some of these businesses were not operating or quieter. Um, we didn't really have any direct, um, yeah, interaction with the staff there. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Mm. Establishes the throne of Jesus. We know it shifts atmospheres, but 
we don't even want to do it for that primary reason. We do it because it's, we love God and it's a worship offering. But it's very, very effective when you do go to intercede at these places. Yeah. Well done. Anyone else? Unless we can close. Dan? Should I play? Oh, so there is one more question. How would I handle that? You know, they, so kids have to be walked through a process. You know, I, I, as someone asked the question a few weeks ago, would you ever do deliverance with a non-Christian? Um, no, ideally not. Um, you, you'd want to um, preach the gospel to those children first um, because deliverance, once they know the truth, once they have the Holy Spirit within them, it's a much easier process. And children, I mean, I've got kids myself. I, I want to see them free, but I don't want to do something for their freedom and then leave them, and, you know, there's more stronger spirits that come back, and the, the latter is worse than they were at the start. So I'd first preach the gospel to them, um, and, then, and then education of why this is happening. Um, but, yeah, it's something that's... We, we're seeing that quite a bit. And oh, how would I... Mm. Okay. Hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, okay, sorry. So, okay, so yeah, that is difficult because they all have their own different bloodlines coming down. But you really want to, maybe, you know, the, the starting point is to cleanse, ask the Lord if there is any legal rights allowing for this collective manifestation at this place. You know, why are they collectively manifesting all together at a, at a place? Um, forgive and repent renounce that, cleanse the land. Um, that's not going to um, free the children, but sometimes what cleansing the land does is it starts to just shift the atmosphere. The angelic can get in further, the Holy Spirit can come and hover. So it really does, uh, you know, um, assist in just accelerating God's plan there. So I would start with that. Sometimes also a great prayer to pray um, is, Holy Spirit, would you come hover over this place? You know, bind them, loose and bind, bind them to a spirit of peace, bind them to um, the, the truth, you know, loose them from whatever it is, bind them to that, ask Holy Spirit to come and hover over that area. Um, but then, you know, they would each have to go through um, their own personal d deliverance process and what their bloodlines look like, yeah. Okay. But it would be interesting to know if there's anything specifically about that site, about that area. Ask the Lord. You might need to fast, you know. Get, yeah. Yes. Hmm. I've actually studied nations that have come to back to the gospel, back to Jesus, and the yield of, of their crops. It's actually amazing that. So I just wanted to firstly just honor and thank Kenz for taking on for taking on what probably could be a 12 or 16 week course, right? In four. Um, so, you know, and just being incredibly humble in the way you've delivered it and freeing. Um, not giving 
prescriptive kind of ways, but also like being clear and true to what God's shown you. So thank you for that. And just from the perspective of of Glenridge and, and the eldership, you know, we are absolutely excited to activate this. We want to encourage you to activate this. Get into groups. Take what we've learned. Activate it. Come back. If you need to ask questions, come ask questions. If you need assistance, ask for assistance. And that's probably true for the churches that are represented here that aren't Glenridge. Do the same where you, where you are. Um, we don't want it just to be theoretical. Um, There's so many question marks that I have that I haven't resolved yet in my own theology. Thank you for giving guidance around it. Um, So ask the questions. Uh, Bring ideas. Bring feedback. Spur each other on. Encourage one another. Um, And yeah, let's just see what God's going to do in the kingdom as we expand our knowledge and our confidence in this space. So I wanted to thank you for that. And please do pray for us. Thank you, guys. That was just wonderful. Um, Let's pray the the same thing. Father, oh, God, you're God. You're so magnificent, Father. You're so glorious to think that we could actually partner with you as a vessel, as a living gateway. We um, We just marvel at this idea, at this truth, that where we walk, Jesus, you come with us that we can release the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of truth to cut through the darkness, that we can work with the angelic wherever we go. Father, we just want to recommit ourselves, redevote ourselves to this mission of building your kingdom, that it is revival and it is reformation of our society, Father. The land and the people are yours. They belong to you. We thank you that everything in you has a prophetic destiny. Everything in you has redemption. There's a redeeming plan for it upon the earth. And what a privilege we have to unfold that, to see that unfolded in our communities. Lord, please, we pray, speak to us, commission us. Open our eyes, even if it's just standing there for our family or to the end of our road or in our school or our business. Father, we make ourselves available tonight. We are living vessels. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.